You're listening to another episode of the Young Investors Podcast, so sit back and relax as myself, Brandon, and my buddy Hamish discuss the latest in the world of finance and stock market investing. Now, a quick reminder before we get into the podcast is that nothing in this podcast should be taken on as personal financial advice. If you're ever unsure about your finances or investing and you need some help, make sure you reach out to a qualified financial advisor. But with all that said, let's get into another episode of the Young Investors Podcast. All right, welcome back, guys. Welcome back, everybody. Hamish, what's cracking, my friend? Oh, not a lot. I um, I, I do have some feedback to give. Uh, a couple of people asked us to try and get video uh, on Spotify for the podcast, so I've been trying oh, yeah. to, I've been trying to figure out how to do it, and uh, I, I think you can do it through Anchor FM, um, or at least that's what I discovered. Yeah. You could do it through. So last week. Um, you might have noticed the podcast was up a little bit late and that's because I was trying to get this video version on Spotify and I just couldn't get it to work. So, if anybody knows if there's a trick to it because I uploaded the video, I did it the way that it says to do it and it just says video is processing. Like, it's just stuck on processing. It's been like, what, now almost a week. So, if anybody knows if there's like a trick to doing it, to getting video on Spotify or if it just doesn't work at the moment, if it's really buggy, let me know, but uh, I tried, guys. I tried. Um, so we'll, yeah, <laughs> we'll continue to try. Yeah, I'm not giving up. To that, work together. That sounded like I, I tried to for try like, to work together. <laughs> I tried once. To work together. And it's 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 uh yeah, <laughs> it's over. Oh my no. gosh. Um, side note, mm. th- that that was my Kamala Harris impression, by the way. Yeah, she's. If you didn't catch that, um, <laughs> did you see? I was watching. I, got, I never get recommended Russell Brand's videos. For some reason, YouTube just spat me a Russell Brand video. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just Russell going off about like uh, the cognitive decline of Joe Biden. <laughs> it's like, dur- I think it was during the week he was on like a panel. Yeah. I don't know what this was from. And there was, like, there was a speaker talking at the time. So, he was just kind of like just chilling there. And he's on this panel <laughs> and he reaches across to the next person. They've all got drinks. And he reaches across to the guy next to him's drink and he picks it up and he just goes, glug, 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 glug. And then oh, he, puts no. it, he puts it down. I think he, he gets confused or he's realized what he's done anyway. Or maybe he gets fed something in his earpiece. And then he goes like this. Sorry, audio viewers, but you won't be able to see. Uh, you have to go over to the YouTube version. He goes like this. He goes. What? <laughs> and I'm like. What does he do? And then he like starts clapping normally. So I don't know if he got fed in his ear, like start clapping. And then he realized that when he was doing this, the person hadn't finished talking. Or so, but oh my gosh, it's not it great. looks bad, Hamish. Yeah, have you seen? It looks bad. There was one. I mean, the, the, the number of gaffes that he does is just accelerating as well. There was another one this week where he read like the, he was reading the teleprompter and he like read the, the last line that <laughs> yeah. I can't even remember what the line said. Yeah. It was like end it was of like, line, end of quote. Yeah, end of quote. Read that again. Yeah, yes. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like that's really bad. It's what is it? Ron yeah. Burgundy from uh, Anchorman. Like, <laughs> 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 just has to read every line. No, <laughs> they'll read anything I put on that on that prompter. Yeah, um, it's in. And I, yeah. I'm not. I'm not having a jab like right wing, left wing, political or anything. It's just like it's crazy to see. That this this uh, that Joe Biden is he like it's kind of sad because he definitely is suffering some yeah. pretty obvious cognitive decline, um, but they I don't know I guess it's, it's one of those situations where he's just like 
it, it really doesn't matter who the Joe Biden figure actually is because there's a bajillion people and advisors in the background that are actually like running things. But he's like the 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 figurehead, I guess. He's, yeah. he's like the person that's on all TV. And yeah, I mean, I guess you just hope the person you elect is the one that is <clears throat> like kind of making all of the decisions. But it's very clear that Biden is not making any decisions. Yeah, I don't really know much, but I would say that the same is true in most political instances. Like probably the, the true. actual, like, because what you want to leave the decision making down to one person? No, you don't. I don't think so. I, yeah, no, you, I think you it's don't. like a yeah, yeah. But I think they're more like a spokesperson. Yeah. than anything else. They're they're the person that relays the information to the people. You know. Mm. But yeah, it's weird. Anyway, anyway. we're getting uh, a little bit a little off ta- uh, off target here. Yeah. Um. Wow, uh, we've got a jam-packed episode, so we shouldn't waste too much time. No. Massive inflation um, to talk about. Yield curve doing some interesting stuff. Uh, Voyager uh, in a spot of bother, <laughs> to put things lightly. Yeah. Uh, Elon Musk's Twitter deal, potentially off now. So we just missed that one last week, so we'll talk about it this week. Um, and then if we got time, we'll talk about uh, Charlie Munger's 13F as well, because he is quick on the buzzer. He releases that straight away, that Sunday. Yeah. He gets it out there. Because we're not supposed to see those for another month, I think, right? When we uh, yeah. typically see them, so yeah, that's uh, he's always early. I mean, he doesn't move. He doesn't move the market, so fair enough that he just gets it out. One less thing he has to do later, you know. Yeah, exactly. All anyway, right, well, lots to talk about. Yeah, today's episode is sponsored by ShareSite, which is an application you can use to track the performance of your stock portfolio. So you can bring in all of your trades either automatically by connecting your brokers, uh, or you can download your trades from your broker using Excel and import them, or you can do them one by one. Uh, and once you do that, it will track all of the gains and losses in your portfolio. So capital gains, dividends. Uh, if you have dividend reinvestment plans on individual stocks or index funds, it will do those calculations for you, which is a lifesaver. Currency gains, if you're buying shares internationally or you hold foreign currencies. That's an interesting thing that happened this week. The euro is, uh, for the first time in a very long time, in line with the US dollar. Um, True. That's crazy, uh, isn't it? Yeah, we're not going to talk about that today, but there's there actually quite a lot that happened this week. Yeah, um, it's a lot. But uh, yeah, so clearly currencies are moving a lot at the moment. So you need to be tracking that um, to see an accurate view of your your portfolio returns. And then you can also use ShareSite when it comes to tax time. So ShareSite generates up to 12 different reports that can be used to track the performance of your portfolio and use the tax time to work out things such as capital gains, dividend income, and more. At the moment, you can try ShareSite for free by heading over to ShareSite.com forward slash young investors. That's site spot S-I-G-H-T, ShareSite.com forward slash young investors. Use that link, sign up to a free plan, track up to 10 holdings for as long as you want, or you can also use that link to sign up to a premium plan for more features. And if you use our link, you'll get four months of a yearly subscription. So go check it out if you're interested. And thanks to everyone who has used that link to sign up to ShareSite and is uh, supporting this podcast. Indeed. All right, hit me. Hit me, Hamish. Oh boy. We all knew it was coming. The inflation data for the US for the month of June. And um, yeah, it's not Ooh. It's not great. Uh, Ouch. It wasn't, it's, it's not great. <laughs> I don't know. There's no, there's no real way Let's to- put it lightly. There's no way to sugarcoat <laughs> it. Um, so the, it's terrible. It's, it's very bad. Bad, bad, it's, bad. It's, Inflation it's, bad. <laughs> Inflation bad. <laughs> All right. Next. What else have we got today? No, I'm kidding. Um, yeah. <laughs> so uh, the, the year over year rate came in at 9.1%. So the US has broken Oof. through that 9% barrier, surging towards the glorious 10%. Um, that the US is hoping to achieve. We hope that it can get... No, we don't hope it can get to 10. But 9.1 is obviously astronomical, uh, up from the 8.6% recorded last month and the highest in 41 years. 
So insanely high, even much higher than the 8.8%, which was expected. So um, big step up from last month, big step up from what was expected. Um, Surprises across the board. Month over month, increase was 1.3%, which is insanely high. The highest month over month recorded so far during this crisis, um, which is, uh, yeah, to put 1.3% in perspective, if we had 1.3% per month for a year, that's 17% annual inflation, which is, that's, so that's the rate that we're, that we're going up at, at the moment. Um, the annualized rate. That's, the that's, annualized rate. That's bonkers, yeah. man. And, that's yeah. insane. And of course, it's only a month. Um, so, you know, to, ex- to just extrapolate that, obviously, I'm not actually extrapolating that for a year and saying inflation is going to be 17%, but that's the rate at which we're, we're operating at that's at the, the moment. Rate. And it wasn't- put it, put it differently. Yeah. That's like a, year, like a few years back. That's like a year's worth of inflation in a month. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. I mean, if you look at most of the 2010s, uh, it was a struggle to get to keep inflation around 2%. Which is yeah. kind of the the target two to three percent, one to two percent is kind of what most nations agree on. So yeah, you're right. We we we're now seeing monthly increases that reflect what we would be pretty happy to see over a year, maybe a little bit less, but um, mm. yeah. So um, crazy in terms of the biggest drivers, um, energy continued to be a massive driver. Mm. Uh, energy overall as a unit was up seven point five percent on the month. So insanely high. Wow. Within energy, to get a bit more specific, energy commodities was up 10.4% for the month. Uh, gasoline Oof. was up 11.2% for the month. Utility Oof. gas was... <laughs> you're going to do one of those every stat I give because I've got about 10 more yeah. of those. <laughs> oh, okay. Oofed. Sorry. Oofed. But no, that's insane. <laughs> yeah, no, 10% it is. 10% rise in a month. Yeah, and the utility gas was uh, 8.2. So, yeah, energy across the board uh, skyrocketing. Uh, I didn't include electricity and stuff and a few others, but they were also very, very high. Um, food also was very, very high. Not, you know, kind of, um, it gets kind of overshadowed by energy, which was up so much. Not but 11%? <laughs> n- no, it wasn't. It was up 1%, which seems good compared to energy, but it's still 1%, which is, you know, 12, 13% annualized. So, um, yeah. that's, that's still insanely high, even though it kind of, um, pales in comparison to, uh, to energy. Um, we can then look at core inflation. So we, we separate out f- uh, food and energy, which can be cyclical and, and tend to cause wider um, changes in inflation. Uh, core inflation was still up uh, 0.7% month over month. So still massive, mm. um, 5.9% year over year. Um, the actual uh, core inflation on an annual basis, the, the year over year figure has declined for the third month in a row. So there's actually been a bit of a divergence between um, the, the the rate of overall inflation, including energy and food, which are two categories that have just exploded, uh, and, and core inflation, which is still very, very high, but is not not a, kind of the rate of change is is, is different there. Um, however, the the month over month for core inflation was still the highest increase this year. So, um, you know, there's 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 <sighs> that. Um, in terms of core inflation, the biggest drivers were used cars and trucks, which was up one point six percent. Transportation services up two point one percent. So again, the the core. Uh, the the things that are driving core inflation are things that are actually related to uh, energy anyway um, things that are kind of a flow on effect from the increased cost of of uh, of oil which has kind of been the at the centerpiece of of this inflation crisis uh, apparel up 0.8% um, 
And year-to-date inflation overall has been 5.3% for the first six months of the year. So That's insane. Yeah, just uh, as as an anecdote on that used cars uh, thing, I I just – I was interested because I follow a couple of Tesla like uh, Facebook groups Mm. and there have been people that have been selling their uh, cars – like a 20 to 30 grand markup on the new price. Now, granted, that's because it's, you're on a long waiting list for a Tesla at the moment if you oh, want to get one yeah, now. Yeah, right. But still, it's just insane that like, yes, that, but just generally that a lot of people can sell their cars for like quite a bit. If you bought a secondhand car, there's even a chance you can sell it for a profit now, <laughs> which is pretty insane. That is crazy. Um, wow. Yeah. That's unheard of. It, yeah, bloody insane. Although, I mean, this this would be the, all these numbers you say are very scary, um, and, and and they would be very scary. I'm just so glad that um, that all of this is transitory. <laughs> yeah. So um, because otherwise, imagine Hamish. Imagine mm. if it wasn't transitory. Yeah. Imagine if it just we, was running on for months and months on end. Like, thank God this is. Just we a would be blip, in so you know? much strife. Yeah. But luckily, I'm yeah. so glad that Jerome Powell came out and he, he and he calmed my nerves by saying, "Don't worry, Brandon, it's just transitory. It's going straight back down to uh, to where it was <laughs> Actually, before." Actually, on, on that so- on that note, there, there's a funny <laughs> quote from the CNBC article. I just had to include this. Um, this is yeah. about halfway through the inflation article. They said. Taken together, the numbers seem counter to the narrative that inflation may be peaking. <laughs> <laughs> like, you can't help but laugh. Really? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. My goodness. Oh, gosh. It's just, I mean, you, you have to laugh because if you don't laugh, you cry. Yeah, exactly. Uh, um, but uh, yeah, so we've got a little bit of a break actually before we have the Fed meeting. I thought the Fed meeting was this week, but I uh, got my numbers mixed up, my dates mixed up. Uh, the Fed meeting will be on the 26th and the 27th of July. So we've still got a little while, mm. probably won't even be on next week's uh, uh, podcast episode. Um, but yeah, all eyes are certainly on the Fed now to see what will they do. Will they do a... They At the moment, they've said 50 basis point or 75. They did 75 mm. last time. So given that inflation has gotten worse, I think 50 basis points, we can kind of put that's not going to happen. But nah. it's really a question of whether will they do the 100 basis point increase, which just a month ago everyone was saying was out of the question. So um, mm. we'll, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Yeah, true. But, uh, well, I know I've said this a million times, but they're not going to stop doing big hikes until there's a significant change in inflation. Yeah. So I mean, I, I'm not sure like the this is this is data for June. Mm-hmm. And when did the when did they do the do they what uh they did a seventy five basis point or a fifty basis point hike last time? Seventy five. They did seventy five. Seventy five. Yeah. And that was in when? A few weeks ago, June. Yeah, the late late June, so twenty twenty something. Oh, in okay. June. So yeah. so maybe oh, okay. So maybe there's not a, enough of a time gap. So it'll be interesting to see. So I guess the results of their seventy five basis point hike will be seen in a month's time from now when we get July's we'll, data. We'll we'll get we'll yeah I, I guess so we'll we'll get a we'll get a hike in two weeks. So there'll be a hike in two yeah. weeks, and then yeah, in in another month's time we'll get a because we, yeah, because we're delayed on the because we've 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 just got numbers for June while it's we're halfway through July, so it's delayed like that. Yeah. But yeah, anyway, uh, I mean the point still stands. Interest rates are going to keep going up, and they're going to get more aggressive until there's clear like until it's obvious that inflation's going down. Yeah, pretty much. 
Yeah, exactly right. Uh, on the so, watch your debt load. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Please, um, variable rate debt. Yeah, Voyager, watch out. <laughs> yeah. Talk about that in a second. <laughs> uh, but uh, before before we get to that, uh, just on the back of uh, inflation and, and interest rates, the yield curve uh, has inverted again. So. Um, uh, earlier this month, uh, the yield curve, uh, or another way to look at it, is that the the spread between the 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 yield or return on the ten year and the two year government bond, U.S. government bond, um, that's gone negative. So if you if you take the ten year and subtract the two year, typically it's positive um, to to account for the the kind of the time value of money and, and locking your money away for for longer offers a higher interest rate. When that inverts, uh, it typically happens when. Um, well, it typically happens when investors are, f- are flooding towards long-term bonds to escape mm. short-term uncertainty. Um, and uh, every single time that the 10-2 spread has gone negative, a recession has followed in the next one to two years. Uh, and it's actually mm. the second time the yield curve is inverted this year. It inverted in April mm. and uh, again just now. So um, there you go. Yeah. It is a surprisingly good indicator of a recession. <laughs> yeah. Hasn't it picked? What do we say? It's like it's picked every single... Uh, every single recession for like the last 50 years. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's been right like the last 10 times in a row or something. Yeah, yeah, it pretty much. It, it's somewhat of a self-fulfilling prophecy as well because it, it, kind of, it comes yeah. with the increase in the short-term loan rates, uh, which makes it more difficult for, for businesses that require short-term debt to, to function. So there's more bankruptcies that kind of results from uh, this move from investors out of short-term bonds into long-term bonds. So, yeah, interesting, mm. interesting times. There you go. Ouch, ouch, ouch. It's getting hot in the kitchen, mm. Hamish Hodder. That, uh, that inflation data is mind-blowing. Yeah. I mean, d- do we hit 10? I- Can we do one of those little young investors... <laughs> Uh, guesses <laughs> that we sometimes do. Yeah, in the United States, do they hit ten? I think they inflation? do. I think they do hit ten. I I don't think I, I genuinely the, the every month that goes on, I just think there's a higher chance that the Fed needs to do a big interest rate increase, like a Volcker style interest rate yeah. increase. The 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 more that this goes on, and and uh, since we're not that since there's zero indication that that's going to happen. Uh, more and more it makes me feel as though what they're doing now is not actually going to do anything to curb inflation. But there's, you know, mm. there's so many factors involved. I mean, a bit if 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 oil prices can come down, I think that would probably ease a huge amount of the inflation. Yeah. Uh, and that's the result of of things that are, you know, that there's so many factors involved in that. The the war in the, the mm. Ukraine and who's pumping oil, who decides to pump more oil. Like there's so many yeah. there's so many factors involved in that that are well outside True. of my understanding. But <clears throat> who knows? Energy is a, obviously the the massive driver at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, mm. exactly. Mm. So we'll see. All right. We shall see. So you reckon I well I reckon I'll just put it on the record that I reckon we're gonna hit ten percent, which is kind of crazy and sad. And I hope it doesn't happen, but I think it will. Yeah, I think we'll hit ten percent. Um all right. <clears throat> Elon Musk. What's he done now? What has he the done? The man, now? the myth, the legend. He's been in the news. You know what he's done, Hamish. He's running away, that's what he's doing. He's being a coward. He's saying, I don't want that Twitter deal no more. <gasps> wow. Mummy, can you cancel it for me? <laughs> 
No. Um, so I, th- I think we ju- we didn't talk about this last week, did, did no, we? No, no. I think we just missed it. No, 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 we missed it because it happened on the uh, last Friday. We record on the Thursday. So, yes. Um, so, yeah, uh, SEC filing came out on Friday the 8th. Uh, Elon Musk has informed Twitter and the SEC that he is terminating the merger agreement between his company X Holdings One and Twitter. Um, so yeah, as we know, uh, it was released in May that he wanted to put it, put the, uh, merger agreement on pause because remember he wanted to look into the, uh, spam, the percentage of spam users mm. because Twitter in their public documents say that it's 5%, it's 5% and Elon's scratching his head going, look, I don't know if I believe that. So he asks for this whole lot of information and, uh, to, to try and make his own, educated guess as to what the spam user percentage is. Um, But interestingly, in the filing with the SEC last week, uh, he didn't actually say that uh, a conclusively high number of bots was the reason that he's backing out of the deal. Uh, He actually backed out of the deal, or he's trying to back out of the deal. This is certainly not set in stone by any means. Uh, He's trying to back out of the deal because he's made multiple requests for information from Twitter and he's saying that Twitter are just not giving him the information that he's asking for. Right. Um, So the filing says, quote, notwithstanding these repeated requests over the past two months, Twitter has still failed to provide much of the data and uh, and information responsive to Mr. Musk's repeated requests. Based on the foregoing refusal to provide information that Mr. Musk has been requesting since May 9th, 2022, Twitter is in breach of section 6.4 and 6.11 uh, of the merger agreement. Accordingly, Mr. Musk hereby exercises X holding one Inc's right to terminate the merger agreement and abandon the transaction contemplated thereby. And this letter constitutes formal notice of X holding one Inc's termination of the merger agreement. Right. Okay. Interesting. Interesting, so, hey? So, do we know what kind of information he was requesting or we, we just don't know? Like, was- uh, No, we, we do. Uh, it goes on in more detail, but it, it is just information about uh, – the spam users. So right. he wanted to he wanted to know information as to like how they calculate it, um, the you know uh, their process once they do identify it, whether they like in- how they include it or don't include it in their in their numbers. He wanted to know the the monetizable daily active users for the last like eight quarters. He wanted more inf- clarification on Twitter's financial condition. There was like I think there was five different points. Uh, I think four out of the five were related to kind of how they come to the conclusion that 5% of their spam users. So it's still about the spam users. Yeah. But it the reason he terminated wasn't specifically because he had proven that they were lying, but it was more that they weren't giving him the information that he wanted. Interesting. Um, however, he did uh, – well, the, the, the filing also did comment on – you know, what percentage of spam users might might there be. Uh, it says here, quote, although Twitter has not yet provided complete information to Mr. Musk that would enable him to do a complete and comprehensive review of spam and fake accounts on Twitter's platform, he has been able to partially and preliminarily analyse the accuracy of Twitter's disclosure regarding its MDAUs. Uh, preliminary analysis by Mr. Musk's advisors of the information provided by Twitter to date causes Mr. Musk to strongly believe that the proportion of false and spam accounts included in the reported uh, monetizable daily active users count is wildly higher than 5%. Wow. That's so, I mean, it's kind of like, it's kind of like making, 
making a big call without actually making a big call. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like wildly higher than 5%. So <laughs> yeah. what it is it? Haven't quite figured it out yet. <laughs> it's not five. It's not 5%. <laughs> yeah. I can say with a high degree of confidence, it's not 5%. It's, it's not four. <laughs> it's not three. <laughs> wildly, uh, no. Yeah. So so there you go. Uh, do you have any 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 thoughts? Um, any thoughts on this? I no, not really. I mean, I, I mean, honestly, from an outside perspective, and this is obviously very, very wrong, but I see, you know, the stock market is collapsing and Tesla's stock price is down, and I wonder if that has any influence on him wanting to go through with such an expensive deal at this time. I wonder if that has any, you know. Um, you know, involvement in, in the decision, but, but, you know, who knows, that's just obviously speculation and it, it, yeah. it could very well be that, you know, what they're presenting legally is, is, you know, it, it's all, it's, I guess what I'm saying, it's hard to tell like, or if what he's pre- presenting oh, yeah. legally is how he feels or whether it's a legal argument to get out of the mm. deal, if that makes sense. We, we won't really know, I think no. wh- which way it kind of falls. Um, interestingly though, he did sell a lot of his Tesla stock to fund this deal though. Right. And, um, so it yeah, is kind of an I, interesting situation where even if he does get fined for this for breaching the contract, uh, he still was able to sell a lot of stock. Possibly, I would assume before it fell a lot. <laughs> so he probably saved himself by going through all of this ordeal on Tesla stock, true. assuming that it, that money is in cash. So um, <laughs> it's kind of although. Yeah. As far as I'm aware, filings have not suggest he hasn't sold his nine percent stake in Twitter. So him saying this is tank the Twitter stock price, but um, true. Okay, but, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, there's swings around. You can definitely be like, hmm, there could be a case to be made. And this is where I, I really wish that I I was like a lawyer and I could read kind of the legal stuff and be like, that doesn't hold up, yeah. or being like, that definitely holds because I just don't know because I'm not a lawyer. Um, but yeah, it's it's very interesting, and and of course Twitter immediately fired back. Uh, Brett Taylor, which uh, is Twitter's chairman, he said on Twitter, "quote The Twitter board is committed to closing the transaction on the price and terms agreed upon with Mr. Musk, and plans to pursue legal action to enforce the merger agreement. We are confident we will prevail in the Delaware Court of Chancery." So, um, like, so, of course he was going to say that, like, so, but. Can they actually? So I, I presume they can't force the deal to go through, though, right? Like there would just have to be a, there would be like a fine, or, or some kind of contingency where if he breaches the contract, I don't know. Like, can, can mm. they actually force him to to make the deal? <laughs> like, if he has the money, well, I, again, not a <laughs> yeah. lawyer, so I, I don't really know. Um, but since then, Twitter have filed a lawsuit, um, okay. so they they will be suing Elon right. and and trying to to get to the bottom of it because there is that like that one billion dollar termination yeah. payment that Elon that's in the contract. So if he steps away, then maybe you have to pay that. Although he's he's going to try and argue that hey, because mm. because of you know these clauses in our agreement i don't have to pay that because twitter's obviously in breach of this agreement so i guess the whole the whole legal side of it is just going to be determining you know whether he can back out of it whether he has to go through with the transaction whether he can get out of it without paying the one billion dollars whether he does have to pay the one billion dollars and actually just reading a cnbc article it was saying um like 
I don't think I have the quote here, but it was saying legal experts say that it could be this, it could be that, it could be this, it could be that, it could be that, it could, this could happen, that could happen, that could happen. So it seems like, uh, I don't know how many like legal experts they asked, but it yeah. sounds like depending on how well it's argued, you know, on both sides will determine kind of the outcome of, 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 the, of, of what happens, I guess. Um, yeah. The article, hang on, I've, I've written well, here. The, the, Sorry, you go. Yeah, well, yeah. I was going to say, with I, I don't know about in the US, but in Australia, our contract law is, it's it's very much based on common law. So, it's all it's all case by case. So, it's like, the, this case is similar to this case. So, it should be decided in this way. And then the other party goes, no, but it's different because of this. And it's more similar to this case. So, it should be decided this way. There's not oh. as much... Um, legislation on it it's very much decided heavily by past cases and and uh, precedent so i would presume the u.s is probably similar which is why that it's not super clear i think what the outcome will be because both every case is unique um but the arguments will be uh about trying to find cases where it's similar and there was there was an outcome that they want um, and then the other party will be saying, uh, no, it differentiates because of this factor or this factor. So, um, yeah, it, mm. it's one of those, it's not a clear and cut, you did this, therefore breach. Um, yeah. So, we'll, we'll kind of see. So, on the Twitter side of it, uh, the, the article reads, Twitter said Musk, uh, after entering a binding merger agreement, now refuses to, quote, refuses to honour his obligations to Twitter and its stockholders because the deal he signed no longer serves his personal interests. Hmm. So, that's kind of like what you were hinting at before. Mm. Um, but interestingly, uh, the investors nailed this one. They yeah. they absolutely saw this coming. Yeah, mm. they saw that this deal was going to crumble because, for example, um, Microsoft uh, their their acquisition of Activision Blizzard. Mm-hmm. There's currently like I think a twelve percent spread mm-hmm. on what the stock price is now versus what the acquisition price is going to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, in this case, there was a fifty percent spread. Wow, and and was it so? Was it always fifty, or or did it? I think it. No, it's gone. It's gone worse. It's gotten before, worse over time. Before right? yeah. this was announced, before Elon said he was cancelling it, because it's gotten worse because yes. Twitter stock's gone down since then. So before, um, it was about a fifty percent spread. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah. So, I think so. So I, yeah, because um. Yeah, so what, what was the what was the price, the acquisition price? Forty four billion, and I think the market cap was like twenty something. Yeah, 20, okay. high twenties. Yeah, that that is interesting. Yeah, and I think it's a, probably a good example of of yeah, what was it like a risky arbitrage or a buyout or, or what is it a buyout? I think it was workout. Oh, a workout. Um, yeah, that's what Buffett. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, like would yeah, as you said, you were talking about with the Microsoft um, acquisition where. Yeah, there's an acquisition price, but there's obviously not certainty that the deal will go through. One party might back out. There might be regulatory issues in a certain region that causes the deal to change, uh, whatever it is. And yeah, so it is interesting mm. to see. Um, this is one of those ones where it, it did um, it did fall out. Um, yeah, but investors yeah. saw it coming. They they gave it a fifty percent spread. <laughs> they yeah. they were not even getting the stock price. Never even got close to a well, a market cap of forty four billion. I think that's fifty four dollars twenty cents per share. Yeah, off off the top of my head. Right. Um, well, from memory, I didn't just calculate. <laughs> top of my Twitter, head. Twi- tw- Twitter's outstanding shares. They have four hundred eighty seven million shares. <laughs> therefore, a forty four billion market cap is a share price of fifty four. Just off the top of my head. <laughs> He's a genius. No. Uh, 
Um, yeah, but it is interesting. Uh, so, the, in conclusion, the market is efficient. We've just we've just figured that we, it's it's efficient, and that's a great place to end the pod. <laughs> yeah, uh, we, we had GameStop last week up nine percent on a stock split. Efficient, pure efficiency, and uh, Twitter <laughs> Twitter fifty percent below its uh, buyout. Um, I'd love to. I'd love to tee you up like in a debate against like a efficient market hypothesis, <laughs> uh, like a theorist versus Hamish Hotter. <laughs> no, that'd, that'd be great. You would just rip that person to shreds. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so yeah, that's uh, I mean, that's Elon Musk's Twitter deal. I mean, it de- it depends on what kind of efficient market theorist you are, because there's some that believe all information is 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 in the market, and then there's others that feel like it's kind of a softer version of efficiency, which is probably fairly accurate that some information yeah. or most information is uh, kind of baked into to stock prices. It's, I think the- it's just that there's things that are uncertain uh, that cannot possibly yeah. be correctly priced. Uh, like the, the, like, yeah, I think, I think the, sorry. I was just going to say, it's like the probability of this merger going through is not something you could have calculated. This is something that was in, that's evolving. It was up to, very much yeah. up to the, individual decisions made by a man who's a human being that's not you know a entirely rational human being partly rational partly emotional like this there's no way you can price that into a stock is what i'm saying to know mm. this is where the stock should be based on this event occurring in the future there's things like that in the market where there's there's room for opinion and and multiple possible outcomes that can't be priced in uh mm. so yeah yeah, <laughs> I think that ge- I think that generally, the markets are relatively efficient. Yeah. Asterisk, except for the times where they're not. <laughs> so I think, like generally speaking, markets yeah. do a pretty good job. But there are there are ve- there are obvious examples where that is not the case. Um, so yeah, I think it's hard to be right on one side or right on the other side of that argument. But of course, the truth, as with most things, is somewhere yeah. in between. Yeah. Um, well, all right. Elon Musk, good luck, buddy. Um, where are we going next? Up. Voyager. What the hell is this Voyager? Let's talk, we better nonsense. talk about Voyager because, um, yeah, if, if anyone's kind of been in the, the YouTube space over the past uh, couple of weeks, it's, uh, it's getting quite heated. Um. <laughs> and before we, get into this, uh, before we get into this segment, I'd uh, just like to say that this, uh, this episode is sponsored by Voyager Crypto. Yeah. <laughs> yep. It's a new entity, unrelated, completely unrelated to the one we're going to talk about, which went bankrupt. Terrible business. Voyager, Voyager Crypto. Um, yeah. It is the same URL, but look past that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, definitely. We are definitely not um, sponsored by Voyager. Because does Voyager even exist anymore? They do. They're still operating. Um, do they? They are okay. still operating, um, which we'll, we'll, we'll get into. But yeah, Voyager Digital um, has uh, collapsed this week um, somewhat. I'll talk about it. Uh, talk about uh, what kind of bankruptcy they're filing for um, because they're still operating. But uh, Voyager Digital is a uh, cryptocurrency exchange and it's not a small one. This is a big crypto exchange. It had 2.7 million verified users. Uh, and its stock price or its market cap for the for the whole stock was four point one billion dollars at its peak. So this is a massive company. Um, that shouldn't be 
understated. And if you're not into crypto, but you're wondering where you've heard of Voyager before, because that's what I immediately thought was, I was like, where have I heard this before? Because I'm not in the crypto Mm. space at all. Why have I heard about Voyager so much? Like, why does that name stick out to me? And it's because a lot of people in the influencer celebrity space were promoting the hell out of Voyager, which is uh, not good. Um, yeah, I mean, there was a lot of people. I mean, some of the big ones that you might know, financial education um, was pushing not only was not only paid to promote the stock, uh, promote the company as a as a brand deal, but also um, he was promoting the stock as a you know stock to buy. Um, Andre Jick uh, was also <laughs> in the same situation. Um, <laughs> this is a funny one. Mark Cuban, uh, billionaire Mark really? Cuban, uh, was a partner with them, and uh, there's a really really sad video where. He's he does an interview with the CEO of Voyager Digital, and he's like he's like giving Mavs like Maverick fans uh, the NBA team like a deal on <laughs> on Voyager Digital. Anyway, Oof. obviously in hindsight, it's all it's all very uh it's all very sad, but a lot of people were were promoting this, and the the truth is of the matter is nobody really knew uh what kind of risk. Uh, this company was taking, um, and I think it speaks volume to the to the point of just being. It you have to be, or you should at least be very very careful when you're promoting things as as someone online, um, because you need to know what you're promoting because you are in a way responsible for. I think at least you should be responsible for for what you promote to to other people, um, which is why we're very very careful. And we only have sponsors that we love, like ShareSite. Which is uh, a lo- which is an amazing company. Um, so essentially, not only could you trade crypto on the site, um, this should have been a bit of a red flag, but they also offered eight to ten percent returns for staking your cryptocurrency, which is pretty much what every that this has been some a problem that's just been exploding over the past couple of years, kind of behind the scenes, which is these either crypto exchanges or or some other like crypto banks where you can loan out essentially and stake your cryptocurrency to other people and get a return. And it essentially operated like a massive Ponzi scheme because while cryptocurrencies were going up, uh, people were able to continue to stake out their cryptocurrency, earn a high return on it, and then and stake it out to somebody else. And it was just this massive spiral of, of people just buying and selling and, and lending crypto to each other at continually higher and higher interest rates um, with nothing really backing it behind it. So, um, yeah, I mean, look, you, mm. you probably could have seen some of the warning signs on the surface, but there was also <laughs> things There was also things behind the scenes that were just hidden by Voyager, which, um, which, which also led to their collapse. So, starting last week, Voyager temporarily, and I put temporarily in air quotes, temporarily uh, halted withdrawals, deposits, and trading, freezing all accounts. So, anybody who had cryptocurrency stored in there, um, they can't access it. Anyone who had US dollars stored in there, they can't access it. Anything at all. And it's this is a massive platform. Um, Andre Jick came out. Yeah. Andre Jick has, I think, 2 million followers on, on or subscribers on YouTube. He came out and said he has multiple six figures in Voyager. Um, so he's losing hundreds of thousands of dollars on this. And, and, you know, that's not to put him on a pedestal or anything. That's just one example of, I'm sure, a situation that a lot of people are, are in, um, unfortunately, with this uh, crypto exchange. 
Uh, and then later, after they halted uh, withdrawals, they declared bankruptcy um, just just later that week. So um, you might be wondering, how did this happen? How could this happen? How on earth could uh, could this happen to to such a large crypto exchange? Well, the main reason why they went bankrupt is because they had massive exposure to a company called Three Arrows Capital. Now they had fifty percent of their loans through this program, this this 8 to 10% program, 50% of their loans were out to this hedge fund called Three Arrows Capital. And, wow. um, and this, 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 the real story here is that Three Arrows Capital invested that money very, very safely and everybody lived happily ever after. Um, oh, and great. that was it. Um, Lucky. That was the oh. end of the story. No. That could have gone wrong. Yeah, it could have, right? 50% exposure to one hedge fund. And that hedge fund happened to invest those funds into Luna Terra, which- uh, Terra Luna. Yeah, yeah. We, we, we spoke about that a couple of weeks ago. You spoke about that. Um, and uh, yeah, that's a cryptocurrency that went to zero. Uh, it was supposed to be pegged. It was supposed to be a, a stable coin, right? So it was supposed to- Yeah. It was, it was not supposed to go down. It was, a, it was an algorithmic stable coin, um, which, uh, yeah, I, I'm not really sure what that means, but which it did not. It, it long story short, it was not that. It did not work. No, and it died. Yeah, a painful, painful death. Yeah. So yeah. So this this company, Three Arrows Capital, um, they th- that went to zero and they went bankrupt, and then Three Arrows Capital essentially <laughs> defaulted on six hundred and fifty million dollars of loans to Voyager. <laughs> um, which immediately just basically a- obliterated um, Voyager's balance sheet. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, considering the size of Voyager and considering the fact that all of these uh, all of these crypto brokerages do the same thing, which is they offer these massive interest rates and they all loan money to each other, I think it would be very unlikely to say, I think it's very unlikely that Voyager is the last domino to fall. I think we're going to continue to see I think Voyager will col- has collapsed. We will likely see that they have owed large amounts of money to other bank to other crypto exchanges. They will go bankrupt, and it will be this kind of domino yeah. effect um, dun, 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 dun. of going on. But yeah, I mean, there's there's more that's coming out now. I mean, Voyager actually lied about uh, a couple of things. Uh, one is that they actually advertised that the US dollars held at Voyager was FDIC insured, which meant that the US government would protect it up to Um, $250,000. However, in the fine print, it actually said that uh, the US dollars is only insured if the bank that Voyager worked with went bankrupt, not Voyager itself. So even though they advertised it as being uh, FDIC insured, it was only insured if this particular bank where the money was being held was, was went bankrupt. If Voyager went bankrupt, it was not insured. Oh, um, and they did a marketing campaign with this in it. So, you know, that's got to be misleading and deceptive conduct, you would think. Crazy. <laughs> um, because that's, uh, you know, I'm sure that was a big reason why probably a lot of people were comfortable to hold money in, um, in, in this particular exchange. Um, they filed Chapter 11 bankruptcy, which there's so many different types of bankruptcy. There's, there's a lot of them, um, depending on what type of business they are and, and uh, what are the options available to them. Chapter 11. Don't spoil it, mate. I'm only up to chapter five. <laughs> yeah. Skip right to the end. Um, 
<laughs> chapter 11 basically means they're going to be restructuring to try and cover their obligations. So, um, it's, uh, it, it's kind of like in Australia, um, at going into ad- administration. So a separate kind of company entity comes in and takes over, yeah. they keep operating, but they just try and reshuffle around debts and, and get new investors and that sort of thing. Uh, how are they going to try and cover their obligations? Uh, they're going for the old, uh, the old Hertz Hail Mary. They're going for the, <laughs> <laughs> the raise, ca- what raise capital, they're gonna, right? They're, they're right. going to issue shares. So, um, so Hertz, Hell yeah. Hertz stock price surged on, it became a meme stock and then they were able to sell shares to, to fund their, um, their, their loans that they owed money on. Um, that hasn't happened to Voyager. The stock hasn't popped, but they're just going for it. They're just, they're just going to try and dilute the hell out of the stock. Let's go boys. Which, the, the, you know, there's a whole, there's a whole story about whether this is even legal. <laughs> so, <laughs> so this will be an interesting, um, situation because even with Hertz, even after the stock had popped, it was questionable whether they were allowed to issue shares, but because the stock had surged so much, it was kind of a different story. In this case, the stock hasn't surged. It's down 99.9%. Um, so yeah, it is kind of a questionable situation. Um, and there's also another type of bankruptcy that they're technically probably supposed to be going through, which protects people who have money invested in Voyager, uh, like people who have cryptocurrency in their exchange, um, but they're not going that route because of a you know a couple of other reasons. I'm not going to get into it. If you want to watch, uh, if you want to hear more about this, I recommend CoffeeZilla's YouTube video. Um, CoffeeZilla is so good. His video is such a good <laughs> explanation and it is kind of insane how scummy... Uh, what the management team is is kind of doing at the moment to yeah. to try and save their skin. Um, if you love a good uh, if you love a good finance scam, yeah, <laughs> go go watch Coffeezilla's videos. They're just so funny. He does a great. He job. does. I great don't actually research. know what his his his, his name is. Uh, oh, it's on the- I, I don't know. Oh, maybe What's he doesn't. His name? No, he does. I don't I just know. Can't he does now. say his name, but I, I I just know him as Coffee's. But man, su- such a great channel. Such a great channel. Yeah. So there you go. That's it. Um, um, yeah, I mean, look, you might have you might have seen this. Uh, there was a bit of a, there was a bit of YouTube drama between uh, <laughs> between Jeremy uh, from Financial Education, which was sparked um, from uh, what was it every Paul from Everything Money? I think made a Everything Money made a bunch of videos, basically really going in on on Jeremy after this this bankruptcy. Um, so you might have seen a bit of that this week. Um, yeah, there's been some big. YouTube it's, finance it's, drama. It's, it's not there. that common it's that all, there's uh there's this drama. It's all in, coming out. There's this drama in finance. Um, everyone's kind of, I don't know. Everyone just kind of keeps to themselves mostly. But yeah, it was interesting mm. to see. Um, interesting to see that uh, go back and forth. I stay well away. Yeah, from I'm not. In, drama. I'm not interested. In thank, thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, what side are you on? Are you on everything money side or are you on financial? I'm on. Nobody. I'm on. Side. I'm on the side of I don't care. <laughs> I, I'm on the Young Investors Podcast yeah. side. Yeah. Cha-ching. We bring you the news no. with no opinion ever. Right? Yeah. We, we never give out. <laughs> no opinion. I've never given my Absolute. opinion on anything. N- nothing. No. I don't think. Right? GameStop. No. I'm just completely objective. Completely objective. No. Yeah. You can't see it on screen, but over there, there's actually in my office. There's a fence. And for most of the day, I just go and sit on it. Yeah, I've got a guy just off camera here who just shakes his head when I'm about to say something. So yeah, yeah, he's free. My lawyer sits. My lawyer sits just off there, and he, and he goes, "Yeah." And I go, "So uh, talking about Voyager crypt," and he goes, 
Yeah. And I go, never mind. He holds up cards. <laughs> Stop. Yeah. <laughs> Stop now. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, well, this is not my opinion or the opinion of New Money LLC. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, boy. So, uh, yeah, yeah, there you go. Um, yeah, it is. It's, yeah, it's just, it, it, look, I, I like to kind of make jokes and like make light of, of stories because I, I think, you know, like you said, otherwise you just cry. But um, it is, <laughs> it, it is, it is kind of, it is kind of, we are seeing the dominoes fall in crypto and it's it's definitely not, you can't just say, oh, look, but everything's falling. So crypto is just falling with everything. No, it, it's really not the same. We're seeing a lot of like permanent capital loss in cryptocurrency mm-hmm. that we're not seeing in other parts of the market. Yes, we're seeing, you know, some tech stocks bubbles pop and come down 80%. We're certainly seeing that in the stock market. But you know, in the crypto space, it's. I think we may actually be just seeing the start of of a lot of these firms just absolutely yep. blowing up, um, mm. which is yeah, it is, it is what it is. Yes, yes, indeed. Okay, um, should we leave Voyager there? Yep. What else have we got? Uh, I'll just quickly talk about Charlie Munger's 13F. Yes. Uh, quickly, I will talk about it because uh, he did nothing. Oh. All right, moving on. <laughs> that's unusual uh, for Charlie. That's oh, so unusual. <laughs> Normally, he's a Michael Burry type, in, out, yeah. in, out. No, no short position. Uh, so, <laughs> nah, nah. so um, very very interesting, Charlie Munger. He's always the first to, to, to jump, as we are talking about before. Um, so he released his 13F. I think there's like four stocks. I can't remember. It's either four or five. Uh, might be five. Uh, he did absolutely nothing, uh, but the reason that this is interesting is uh, because we've been talking about Charlie Munger, uh, Alibaba position over the last like year or so, uh, and it pretty much does confirm that he was tax loss harvesting. Right. Yeah. So he bought uh, three hundred thousand shares in Q one and Q two of last year. Then he bought another three hundred thousand shares in Q four. Mm-hmm. Okay. So all the meanwhile, this stock price is just going down, 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 down. Uh, so then in Q1, so at this point he's got 600,000 shares. Then in Q1, he sells 300,000. Yeah. And we go, boy, what's going on here? Yep. You know, like is is this, you know, all possibilities were, were on the table. Is it tax loss harvesting? Does he think he's made a mistake and the political risk has got too much for him? Is he backing out? Uh, so that was in Q1. Now in Q2, so so sorry, I'll just, I'll just backtrack. So after Q1, he had brought his 600,000 share position back down to 300,000 shares. So he cut it in half. Uh, and now this quarter, he has done nothing. So he still holds 300,000 shares. So to me, what this says is that he wants to hold 300,000 shares for the long term. Yeah. And it's worth remembering that actually that second packet of 300,000 shares, I think he used margin to help him buy it as well. Yeah. And he was questioned on that. He was like, oh, you know, we don't mind a little bit of margin. And I think the reason he said that is because he knew what he was doing. He yeah. bought 300,000 shares originally. He was down massively on them. He bought another 300,000 shares to get to, for his long-term position that he wanted to hold. He got in a, a low price. And then while the share price is so low, he also sold that original packet. Yeah. So he could realize the loss, tax loss harvest. Yeah reset his buy position and now he's just going to hold 300,000 shares for the long run yep. at, with a buy-in price very low and he's going to get the immediate tax benefit. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, it makes so, makes perfect sense. Um, what, what's yeah. in the US is it 30 days they have to wash? But, but, Thir- re- yeah, 30-day but- 30, 30 periods so they can buy on the 31st day after. Yes, yeah. But regardless, I think he was doing like first in, first out. So he was, exactly. he was essentially locking in the losses for the first packet he bought. And yeah, as you just yep. described, the second packet was kind of the, the one that he kept in the end, if that yes. kind of makes sense. Yes. Not something you can do in Australia. Um, we don't have wash sales in Australia, I don't think. Um, I think you have to be much, yeah, much more careful. Yeah, there's not I even- I mean, I was talking yeah. to my accountant about it and he was saying there's still a lot of churn in the Australian share market yeah. at the end of the financial year. Um, but you do have to be careful about it. Yeah, yeah, he definitely wouldn't want to be doing- Sell one day by the next day. <laughs> yeah, on the thirtieth of June. Yeah, that's sus. Yeah, yeah, that might be a little bit, a little bit suspicious. Um, um yeah. So, uh, lastly, why do I think that this is also tax loss harvesting? Charlie Munger is the type of investor. If he wanted to sell, he would have sold. He would have sold it all. Yeah, he would have sold. There's no way, in my opinion, there is no way he would have held his shares if he thought he'd made a mistake. Mm. He's not that kind of guy. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. yeah, so what's he got? So anyway. What's he got in the portfolio now? He's got four. I'm just pulling it up here. Uh, uh, he has. Oh, you're pulling it up. He has cool. uh, Bank of America, which is forty percent. Wells, uh, Wells Fargo, thirty five percent. Alibaba, twenty percent. Uh, Bancorp and uh, Posco. Yeah. Oh, Bancorp. Yeah, right. So five. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Three but, banks but the, and but the three. Uh, yes, and and Alibaba and I don't know what Posco is. I don't know what that is. Like the top two, don't they make... What are the top two make up? Like 80% of the portfolio 70, or something crazy? Yeah, like 77% and then Baba is 20. Right. So yeah. it's like <laughs> like three stocks yeah. is like 97%. Posco is basically nothing, by the yeah. way. Yeah. It's like five cents. <laughs> yeah. So there you um, go. Interesting. Yeah, yep. very concentrated. Sure. Not too much activity from um, from that man. Um, mm-hmm. That's quiet. So I think that puts the I think that puts the 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 tail the Alibaba Charlie Munger tail to rest. I think that that's probably the last we'll see. Yeah, I think so. I think now we'll get back into Charlie Munger mode, <laughs> doing absolutely nothing for years on end. Yeah, and we'll, we'll get so we'll get the rest of the thirteen Fs. Usually, anyone who's trying to like push it to the to the last possible date will be uh, in about a month's time, right? So in the middle of yeah. uh, the middle of. August, 45 days, yes. around 45 days after the end of the second quarter. So that's when we should expect to see, you know, Berkshire and, and, and Bury. Yep. Bury sometimes is a bit early, but depends. Um, yep. A couple other people. All of them. All of them. You know, Br- Bridgewater, uh, Flippin, Seth Klarman, Guy Spear, yep. all of them. Young Investors Portfolio, uh, yep. 100% Voyager. Damn. I don't think we'll have to file a 13F this time around, mate. Because <laughs> <laughs> there's nothing left. <laughs> there's nothing left. We don't have, what is it? Three, is it 100 million? 300 million. I can't remember. How much we have in the account? No, 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 no. No, what the, the requirements of filing a 13F. <laughs> oh, yeah. Is it 100 well, million? Well, we were just over the 100 million. And now we're, we have, it is 100 na- million, now we have it? about $30 in the account. So. Yeah, $100 million in assets under management. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, we were above it. Five, we were, but yeah. Now we've got five cents. Now we're, yeah. Now we're, Sorry, investors. Yeah. Our apologies. Yeah. We've blown you. We've blown your dough. Yeah, we're going to be dropping the quality of the podcast down to 720p to save internet. So we'll be- <laughs> 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 the quality oh, gets, suddenly just gets terrible. Like, I'm recording from like outside on the street. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, dear, oh 
Okay. Oh, dear. Uh, is that the last thing we wanted to talk about? Yeah. They're the main things we had to cover for this week. Yeah. Should we do some Q&A just to round things out? Yeah, let's do it. Uh, let's have a look. What have we got here? What do we have here? I haven't actually. Um, How about we do this first one? Uh, yeah. Do you want me to read it to you? Uh, sure. I mean, it's for both of us. So yeah, uh, always, let's, let's, let's always a great listen, gents. Thanks so much. Let's take a walk down memory lane. Let's do it. How did you gents first meet and what was your initial impressions of each other and, uh, the possibility of collaborating to create amazing content? Yeah. I hated Brandon from the minute I, minute yeah, I had enough. to speak to him. I'm actually being compelled. This is actually part of my probation. I have to do this, yeah. you know. Um. Just just <laughs> off camera, there's there's a new money representative just holding a gun at Hamish's yeah. head. <laughs> yeah, you can't see the shackles around my my ankles. I'm I'm just, <laughs> I'm in Brandon's um, basement. I, <laughs> yeah. I, we say he's from Melbourne, but actually I can see him. He's just over yeah. there in that corner. Well, yeah, when Brandon <laughs> says how's the weather down there, he doesn't mean Melbourne. He means in the basement. Well, <laughs> I'm tied up. <laughs> no, oh, um, yeah. yeah, well, well I, I, do you want to go or do you just? Well, I can't even remember. Like, we, because yeah. we, we, had, like, there's meeting virtually yeah. versus meeting in real life. Like, we started the podcast before we'd actually met in real life. Yeah. Um, when did we start the podcast? Like three years ago, maybe four years ago. Yeah, it would have been in, uh, late 2019, I think. Um, yeah, maybe. Yeah. So, so three um, years ago. Yeah. I mean, look, we, Brandon had his channel for about a year and I was kind of watching him for a year and we were just talking, you know, and, um, yeah. just because, you know, you had a, re- not too many Australians. No, you had a, you had a small uh, channel YouTubers. and, you know, I was obsessed with the stuff. So I didn't have a channel at the time, but, um, you encouraged me to get into it. And I started, I think exactly a year after, and then, uh, it would have been about six months after that, that we just started to, to launch the podcast. So. Mm. Yeah. Yep. And then what? And yeah, well, there's like, there's no, I guess, magic story. I mean, I, I literally just called you up one time. We we're like, hey, we should like talk about doing a podcast. Yeah. I called you up and we spoke for like 45 minutes and we're yeah. just like, hey, do you, do you want to do this? And I was like, yeah. You know, this opportunity in the podcasting space, it gives us a chance to do, because we, we, we're not, we're not like news channels. Yeah. On YouTube, but it's good to keep up with what's going on. So yeah. I thought the podcast would be like a good way we could maybe explore. Originally, we now we're just like whatever's going on in the week, we just talk about it. Originally, we would plan it and we would do like we'd have a, a, a what do we? We used to do the indices at the start, yeah, and then we used to do like a um, a middle section which we, we like, planned out. Yeah, we do like, indices, news, and then we do like a lesson, like if we talk about a stock or yeah. we talk about an investing principle or. Something like that. It was much more structured, yeah. kind of like a, uh, yeah, it was just much more structured. Whereas now we kind of just, just riff, just, riff um, just talk about news. Yeah. But I don't know. It was, um, I don't know about you, but it was like, it was very natural. I mean, when you came down to Melbourne, that first podcast, if you go and check out our first live podcast, which I, I don't know what episode it was, but even mm-hmm. that episode felt quite comfortable. Like we, we kind of just meshed. Oh, it felt great. Yeah. It, it didn't feel, it wasn't um, mm. strange at all. It was kind of, I mean, I guess we'd been talking online for a long time, so it kind of just worked, yeah. but yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I think we're quite similar people. Yeah. Um, we're similar humor. Yeah. We got along very well. Yeah. Similar humor. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's been, uh, it's been a great, it's been a great time. Like now we've yeah. done so we've done Sydney trips together, Melbourne trips, obviously for me yeah. to do live podcasts. We've you know, gone to, we've gone to America with investing with Tom and spent uh, like, we've lived together for like two, two and a half weeks yeah. hanging out in America and 
going to the Berkshire meeting and podcasting over there and mm. all the rest of it. And uh, it's it's been fun. It's been fun. And that, the great thing is, is that as as we continue and as you guys keep showing your support, the podcast slowly grows so we can do more and more of this stuff, yeah. which hopefully translates into even better viewing for you guys. Yeah. So that's what I, I look forward to is like, what can we do next year? What can we do the year after that, you know? Um, but I think we're definitely going to go back to the States for the Berkshire meeting next year. That was just so good. I, I don't think we can we can miss that one. Yeah. Um, no, nah, that's fantastic. Just, just just the opportunity to to just just network with with people in the space because it is we we see all these people online doing podcasts and and we we know them you know we we might speak to them you know over email or, or or in DMs very briefly but it's it's a different thing to kind of see everyone especially at the Berkshire meeting kind of come together and um get to see everyone's faces in real life. <laughs> We're all just kind of individual nodes in this internet network that just post stuff online, uh, yeah. all from our homes. <laughs> so it is, yeah. it is funny. It is a funny environment. But uh, yeah. yeah, it's very strange when you like when there's just heaps of people that you just you just see them on a screen. Yeah, and then they're just there. You're like you know them. You're like you know what their voice sounds huh? like. You know what their mannerisms are, but you you don't yeah. really know them. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, it's so bizarre. Yeah. But it's like the first time when uh, when I met Tom, when he he came down to to meet me in the in the uh, ground level of that that hotel we stayed in yeah, in Sydney. Yeah. It's it's so it's so bizarre because I've never met this guy in my life. Yeah, but I I feel like I know him. Yeah, you know, and I do. Well, that's I don't feel like I know. I do know him. I've spoken to him heaps before. I've made videos with him. We've had phone calls yeah. and all, all the rest of it. It's just such such a weird feeling. Yeah. I was just like, oh, I know you, but now you you look just a little bit different. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Anyway, that was a great time. Yeah. Um, anyway, we've all been right. rambling on that one question, but I think that uh, – should we do one more or should we just wrap it up? Um, uh, is there a quick uh, – I don't, I don't know. I don't think we have a quick There's one. a quick one. How hard is it to chuck video on Spotify? That, were, that oh, would yeah. be awesome. Uh, yes, we're still working on – that. It's very hard. Um, Apparently, very hard. No. Uh, yeah. So, if anyone knows yeah. what I'm doing wrong, I'm gonna keep trying, and I'll, I'll figure it out eventually. But um, if anyone can help me, um, feel free to send me an email or something, or send me a DM on Twitter. Um, but yeah, I think uh, um, maybe we can do this quick one. Hey guys, I wanted to ask what your approach to actually buying stocks is. Uh, for example, you have done all your homework of the business, calculated its intrinsic value. You've determined the exact amount of money you're willing to put into a particular investment. At what point do you start buying the stock? 30% margin safety, 40%, 50%. Uh, and how much of the money do you invest each time? Do you invest all at once, etc.? Sorry yeah. for the long question. Keep up the great work. I think we've we've maybe touched on this before. I don't really have a strict hmm. method, so I might th- throw this one over to you. I don't have a strict method either. I usually want to dip my toes in though. And I've done this pretty much in every investment where I'll put like a couple of percent of my portfolio in, even if the stock is, you know, only at a 30% margin of safety instead of 50, um, just to get some skin in the game while I'm continuing to learn about the business. I tend to do that. Um, and that way my exposure to, a, to, to the investment initially is, is not, um, is not super large. After that, I tend to come up with a range where I'm happy to start buying. So this is a range in which I think intrinsic value plus 50% margin of safety is. Um, And there's no, you know, specific science to it, you know, 10% here, 10% there. But um, the lower that it goes into my range, obviously the more confident I am in 
earning that 50, 15% return. So obviously the lower it goes, the larger the margin of safety becomes and the more I'm willing to invest into the company. Um, mm. But there's not really a, there's no science I think to it. It's just, are yeah. you investing at a price where you're confident that the, the price you're getting is good? And if the stock keeps mm-hmm. falling, that's just the, the nature of the market. You can't predict that. Yeah, and there's also the question of like, like you can be in a situation where well, we've been in recently where there's really been nothing to buy. Uh, well, not recently, but I mean like last few years, mm. there's not really been much to buy and you've got this money accumulating on the sidelines and inflation's starting to heat up and it's eating away your purchasing power and then it's like, oh, one stock I found that's hit my margin of safety, maybe put more in because like that's your only option at the moment, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm certainly not one to, to, to go in with the mentality that I'll just, I'll just – you know, uh, starts it's it's him up margin of safety. I'll just start small because you never know it could go lower because you don't know if it's going to go lower. Yeah. So I'm def as soon as it hits that margin of safety, you don't uh, like that's that's your that's your tick box that you have to tick before you invest in it. But as soon as it's hitting there, I'm not hesitating to buy. Yeah. I'm not being like, oh, I'll give it a few more days. You never know. I'll give it another couple of weeks. It might be lower next month because if you if you get into that habit, then you'll just you'll miss something awesome. Like it'll just a great company will just dip into a margin of safety, but great companies don't stay there for long. You might be like, oh you never know it might go down 20% more. I read a seeking alpha article and then before you know it it's bounced back up to normal and you've completely missed your opportunity so yeah um yeah there's that as well yeah. to consider but yeah. the only exception to the rule i would say is if if the stock is voyage digital then the best time to buy is 100%. always always <laughs> 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 all right well that's it thanks everyone for tuning in uh on your uh, saturday morning or, or friday evening or whenever it is that you're listening to this episode uh if you have any questions feel free to head over to the youtube version of the podcast and leave your questions on the latest episode yes. and we'll please we'll do. try and get to as many as we can on a week-by-week basis uh thanks to ShareSite for sponsoring this episode. Head over to ShareSite.com forward slash uh, young investors to get four months off a yearly subscription. Thanks, Brandon, for joining me as always. All good, friend. And I hope everyone has a great rest of your weekend. And uh, I'll see you guys next week. See you next week. 